Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Almost done in our first by verse study in the book of Genesis. And here's a great title. You got to be ready for this. A little long, but it's super relevant. And it's something that the Lord would even just encourage you with, even in the title. It's not the same power as the scriptures, of course, but the truth is, and here's the title. You don't always see how God is working. You don't always see how God is working. That can often be a very discouragement to us. We're so used to seeing and seeing with our eyes and don't believe it unless you see it. And I think one of the states has one of their sayings. It's the show me state. Like if you show me, then that's the way it is. But you know, you don't always see what God is doing. You know that he's acting. You know that he's working, but you don't always see. We learned in our study last time that it was time and testing that brought the brothers of Joseph to the point of brokenness and desperation and repentance standing there before Joseph. They carried a lot of pain and anguish. For years now, they've carried it. It's the kind of pain and anguish that's rooted in their guilt and unconfessed sin. And they're living with it. It's some of you listening to me right now, you have all this unconfessed, unresolved things and it's affected every area of your life. You think it's other people, But before it's other people, you've got to look in the mirror and say, Lord, what about me? Search me and know me. Reveal to me if there's any unclean thing. Sometimes it's unconfessed sin and it's unresolved issues that creates a heavy burden of guilt. Guilt guilt for sin in general is heavy, but guilt for unconfessed sin is, you could say, almost unbearable. You truly have to harden your heart repetitively and continually and progressively to deal with unconfessed sin as a believer in Jesus Christ. Of course, the world, they're not alive to Christ, so they live with hard hearts apart from Christ, of course. But for believers, it it doesn't come naturally. You have to ignore the the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You have to twist scriptures that they to make them mean what you what they don't mean, which is pretty obvious. You, you have to skip parts of the Bible. You have to put the Bible away. You stop coming to church. Then you start getting angry with the world and you start getting caught up. And you just it, it takes so much effort. Remember what the phrase that Jesus used for Saul of Tarsus? Why are you kicking against the goads? Saul was kicking as an unbeliever, but believers, that kicking is even worse. It is a fight to the finish, and you will lose every time. I will lose every time. The weight of these two decisions are often measured. Well, you don't understand how hard it is to confess and what's going to happen. and what, I, that, that is way too hard and, and compared to, well, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to know. But you know. You live with it. It isn't about anyone else finding out. It's about that connection that you and I have with God. And here they are after years, time and testing and difficulty. They saw their dad. 
something had to click. They, that they just didn't see him the same way where he was grieving and, and distraught. It, it, they brought it up even before Joseph here. They had to stop paying attention to their dad in his heartbreak and just explain it away. Well, that was his favorite kid or, oh, he'll get over it. Oh, it's no big deal. Like it was, it's pretty bad. It's pretty hard. Truly hard hearts. But through time and testing, difficulties and even a famine, a severe famine, moved the brothers to Egypt to stand before Joseph and they don't know who he is. And God had already sent Joseph ahead. By the time the brothers get to Egypt, Joseph's already been there for many years. And he's there. They don't know it's Joseph, of course, that they're talking to. But I wonder if they suspect something or began to suspect something when they lined everyone up and things just, you know, you just, things are not, something's going on here. But how could they ever think that Joseph was alive? They didn't have even options to process what they were, because they didn't see God working behind the scenes. Why? Because you don't always see it. Even in your rebellion, even in your prodigal living, even under the pain, the the layers of hurt and things that we're carrying, you don't always see what God is doing to set you up, to rescue you and heal you and help you and solve your problem that you haven't been able to solve for 20 years. Resolve the pain of your upbringing that you could never resolve. But the Lord is ready to do it, even though we don't see it. God is in control, we see, arranging things in such a way to bring about great victory and reconciliation then and now. We left off in our last study between Judah, the scene between Judah and Joseph, and Judah becoming a type of Jesus Christ, who is Messiah, who would be, who would come later on because he's ready to give his life in exchange for Benjamin. Uh, and then you begin to see they did care, the, the care about their dad, and then now they're beginning to put together. They expressed how he was sorrowing, and they're feeling it, and they don't want him to hurt anymore, and surely if this happens, he will die. So now all this emotion is rekindled in them. With verse 1 now of chapter 45, it says, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. I mean, this is remarkable. I don't know. I'm sure there's some creative pastors and teachers out there that could draw everything out from this, but you're just gonna have to trust the Holy Spirit to impact what a moment this is. This is a dramatic emotional moment that even Joseph finally to the place. Now they're ready. Now they're ready. Overcome with emotion, cries his heart out. Again, following along the types of Jesus here, Joseph, he has cried before. A man in touch with his emotions. Again, a type of Jesus Christ who the Bible says that Jesus, what? He wept. It's worth noting that Joseph had the power of life and death over his brothers here. He is in full control of the situation. uh, Some of you have been praying for this, and I'm not sure you really want it or that you're even ready for it. 
You've been hurt so bad, there's been so much injustice, and whether you say it out loud or not, there's a part of your prayer, whether it's vengeance or revenge or just giving them a little taste of what they, whatever it might be, there's this desire, you know, I'd like to be in control of my situation. I'd like to take, I'd like to make the decisions for once. All this time, these decisions are made, and they've been made for me, and it's been, I want control, and there's part of us in our flesh, and even basic humanity would like this, but the question I would ask you today as a follower of Christ, are you ready for that? And can I just say that if you don't have this kind of control, then God has determined you aren't ready for it. And ultimately, he doesn't want us. This is a unique storyline, true storyline of Joseph. It may not be our story. Joseph has complete control and he can take care of this problem any way he desires. Even all the way along the way here, he could have hurt them deeply. He could have really, instead of testing them, he could have taunted them. I mean, there's so many options that were before him. He could have easily exacted not only revenge, but vicious revenge but he didn't, and that's encouraging for me and for us. It's encouraging because we're reminded again that one of the options that was available to Joseph is the same option that's available to us. And he could exact revenge, yes. And he could wipe his brothers out, yes. And he can send a message, yes. I mean, think of all the things he could have done to his brothers and still met his dad and still preserved Benjamin. So table full of options. But on that table, just like your table, there's an option that's so much better than all of them. And that's this. He had the option to forgive. He had the option to forgive and that's what he chose. So can we. Truly, as we saw in our study last time, that's the best decision to make. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six and verse 14, if you forgive men your trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It was William Cowper that said this, and I quote, alas, if my best friend, capital F, my best friend who laid down his life for me were to remember all the instances in which I have neglected him, and to plead them against me in judgment, where would I hide my guilty head in the day of recompense? I will pray, therefore, for blessings on my friends, even though they cease to be so, and upon my enemies, though they continue as such. Lord, just help us to forgive. I know there's great loss, but there's a time where along the way where you embrace where you are and you begin to enjoy God again in the pain or in the loss or in the injustice. That's God's way. You know, I've got some things going on in my life uh, for quite some time now, and I was uh, in Florida uh, with teaching at a church and serving the church just recently. I just got back yesterday, late last night, and I had the opportunity to spend time with the pastor. I took Pastor Sean, and and he was with me. We were playing with the the kids and playing with the family and their different games. And, And as I was playing with the kids, I just got this overwhelming revelation uh, in my own heart that God has been very gracious to me. And one of the ways he's been gracious to me is he gave me the privilege of playing with these kids. 
It was like a gift that God gave me to play with these kids. Or as a kids came up on, you know, like he's been speaking to me about this a lot. Like, because after service, uh, when I taught a Bible study there, uh, we had these kids come up and they're waiting in line because they don't know like your kids that they can interrupt me anytime. So they're very uh, patient, waiting for me to finish. Parents have them there. And so I finally catch eyes with them. And you know, these kids, they don't know me, but they've been, they, their family wants them to sit in the service with them. And so they were taking notes. You know how kids take notes? They draw pictures. And you know, these aren't, they're not drawing pictures of planes. They're not drawing pictures of aliens. They were drawing pictures. This is so amazing. All three of their kids are drawing pictures of the message. And so the little one probably couldn't even hold a crown in her hand. Uh, she put two little marks on there. And I'm like, what's this? And yellow. Yes, that's nice. It's yellow. Then the middle kid, they had a little bit more marks and we talked about the colors, but the older kid couldn't have been more than seven or eight, which is a real special age, real wonderful age. He, he, man, he went to town, very detailed uh, descriptions of the message. And one of the things that were very clear is he, he, <laughs> he got the message, man, I'll tell you. He got the message because he had a picture of two sides of a face and he, picked, he, he drew somebody slapping them. So on one side, he slapped them, and then he flipped the, I mean, he's like an eight-year-old kid. He flipped the picture on the other way, and he got slapped on the other side. Because I talked about that in the message. I talked about Rahab the harlot, and if you get to heaven, don't be asking for Rahab the harlot, because an angel will come and slap you, and it was an angel wing that slapped the face. <laughs> and the Lord just spoke to my heart of what a privilege it is to have this little kid, this little guy in my life, just for the moment. He may not remember it because he's just a kid, but I'm going to remember it. And now from now on, you're going to remember it of how important the, the things in life are. It could be very easy for me to live a life really focused on what I don't have, which is very precious to me, very hurtful, very painful. But you know, it's not about what I don't have. It's about what I have. It's taken some years to get there, believe me. This is not an overnight. Maybe someone will give you a revelation in sense of, of a Bible study for sure. Maybe tonight's the night you get it and the Lord moves it, but it's been a year's process. But I'm telling you, Joseph had all the control he had, but he didn't take things into his own hands, even when they were all in his hands. He realized that what God entrusted to him still belonged to him. And he didn't do anything to his brothers but forgive. And I, I love to recommend books when they hit hard, and this is the one that I would recommend on forgiveness, the one we did from Free From Your Past. There's a great chapter in there. There's resources up here on the stage uh, that are available for, on forgiveness too that will help you process this because everywhere I've taken this so far, including our church, the message of regret, bitterness, unforgiveness, blame shifting, all that, all that, has hit pretty close to home everywhere I've gone. It seems to be the season of God doing deep work. What that tells me is God's doing deep work in believers. He wants a bride that's pure. He wants a bride that is loyal. And so he's got to deal with these deep things. If you want to experience the deep emotion of, of Joseph here, it requires to step into the same commitment he made to God and trust God with your life. It's easy to trust God with your life when you like the way your life is. 
Oh yes, look at God, I love God, he's so good. Posting on Facebook, everything's wonderful. But all of us know, every single one of us listening know that pain awaits us all if it's not already something we carry. Joseph is a great example here. He forgives, that's the decision he made. Notice verse three, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Do you think they believed him? <laughs> it's like, what? It's just like, what? And he, he even asked the question, does my father still live? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Circle the word dismayed. It's the Hebrew word that's translated, you could translate it overwhelmed. Or it also can be translated distressingly disturbed. They're dismayed. I have a note in my Bible here that I must have written many, many years ago. They were speechless. They're overwhelmed. They didn't know Joseph's heart. They didn't know his desire. They didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't know. I mean, I, I think this is the moment. This is the pivotal moment in everyone's life. Imagine if you were standing there with all this unresolved guilt and a famine in the land and your younger brother and your dad's sick and it's all piling up and then, hey, by the way, guys, got one more thing. I'm Joseph. Now the room is split up into two parts. Optimists and realists. There's no such thing as pessimists. Realists. If you're a pessimist, then you're automatically, nothing goes good for me. I can't, now we're done. If you're optimist, oh, there's a chance. He hasn't done it yet. If you're realist, I, I don't know how the realist views this, probably closer to the pessimist, like, oh man, what's oh, gonna happen to us? And here they are in the moment of revelation, and they don't know. They had no idea what God was doing. None. Zero, nada. They don't know anything of what God is doing yet. They have no idea of his promises and the ultimate purpose of bringing Messiah. They don't, they don't see it in the moment. Joseph, he could have thrown him in prison. He could have sent him back with no food to starve. He could have done something with Benjamin or he could forgive them as we see and love them and provide for them. So notice verse four, it says, Joseph says to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near. Do you think they came near with smiles or do you think they came near very carefully, very slowly? These are the last breaths we're ever gonna take the rest of our lives. They know exactly what they did to Joseph, but they don't know all that they did to Joseph. They don't know his whole story yet. But they know what they did. I'm Joseph, he says, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Look at these, these words are just monumental. Some of you need to memorize these. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God is in all of this. He sent me ahead. These two years, the famine has been in the land, verse six. There's still five more. There's going to be no plowing or harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he's made me a father to Pharaoh 
and the Lord of his house, all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I mean, this is powerful stuff. When conviction of sin comes over a person, it's a very critical time because everything hinges on the response. Everything hinges. When you face the conviction of your own sin, you've got to understand you're at a critical juncture. Because if you choose not to ignore it and to stuff it and harden your heart, then you're going to have two options with your sorrow. We looked at this in depth when I taught through 1 Corinthians. You're going to have two options with your sorrow. You're either going to have a worldly sorrow or a godly sorrow. This is 2 Corinthians, I should say, chapter 7. Those are your options. If you choose to respond to the conviction of sin in a way that is not just dismissive, then you have two options. And here's the problem that you need to understand. And I went through this in depth when I studied, taught this, but just for us now, here's the problem. In many ways, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow feel exactly the same because you feel bad about what you've done. You feel bad about getting caught. You feel bad about the reality. You feel bad. You wish you never did it, right? You know, Joseph is sensitive to that where he says here, he, he tells them that when he's, uh, in verse five, he says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, just right next to that, that's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is centered on self. And it feels like repentance, but it really is just emotion that's rooted in self. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be grieved with yourself. Don't make it harder for yourself. He just finished telling them that God went before them and sent him there. He's, he's revealing to them, actually in the, the very next phrase, he says in verse five, God sent me before you. And then he begins to explain himself about the famine and how God's there and you've got five more years. It's all gonna be good, but don't be angry with yourself. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter seven and verse nine, now, re, now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorry led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So the main distinction between the two is worldly sorrow, self, godly sorrow, God. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to guilt, shame, regret, and then a repetition of it all over again. Verse five is key. I want you to hear verse five. Like I said, some, we just need to memorize this. Don't be grieved. Don't be angry. Because you sold me here. You did do it. He didn't let them off. You did do it. You, I know what you did. You know what you did. But don't be grieved or angry about it because God sent me to preserve life. Verse five is key for you right now. There are probably some things in your life that you're really upset about and angry with. Maybe you're upset with yourself. But they've already been dealt with on the cross. Because while God sent Joseph ahead for his brothers, he sent Jesus ahead for you and me. 
And these things have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus on the cross. They've been dealt with. You're a new creation in Christ. They've been dealt with. God has taken care of this in your life. You don't have to carry the burden or the heaviness. God has dealt with it already. He sent Jesus Christ ahead. Condemnation, God has dealt with it on the cross. Regret, God has dealt with it on the cross. Anguish over the past, things that you're... God has dealt with it. The Lord is with you. He has removed our guilt and shame. I love this because Joseph is letting them off the hook, not for free. Just like you and I, we're not let off the hook for free. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. He's fulfilled God's righteous requirement. He satisfied the wrath of God upon sin in your life on your behalf. When you hear the phrase substitutionary atonement, that's what that's describing. God has substituted. He has substituted the righteous blood of Jesus Christ for your unrighteous life. A life that you and I could never pay for. Joseph's letting them off the hook, but not for free. Oftentimes, because we place such a great emphasis on grace in our church. You know why we place such an emphasis on grace in our church? Because God places an emphasis upon grace. And so the people here, and time to time, I'll get an email or something. I can't believe you guys, you're teaching cheap grace, cheap grace. And it's a really convenient argument, but it's not true. So, I mean, I say it's a real convenient accusation, but it's not true. I can say it out loud publicly right now. The grace that you and I enjoy is not cheap. It costs the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you cheapen it in any way, you have done that. Not God. The grace of God is not cheap. That's why we're to take it as the gift that it is and to reflect it being gracious ourselves in love. It's not cheap. But the forgiveness of Jesus is yours by faith. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to you know, crawl on your knees throughout Aurora until they're bloody and say hello to a thousand people and knock on 50,000 doors and maybe one day you might be saved. You don't have to give to the church. You don't have to buy your relatives out of purgatory. You don't have to do anything but repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He will then do the work inside. It's free in that it costs Jesus everything. We like to share that from time to time. I know it's a, it's a silly illustration, but it makes sense. You know, we have radio stations as a church. They broadcast all throughout Colorado, and it doesn't cost you a dime to turn your radio on. It's free. Turn on the radio in your car, free. Turn on the app, free. You know, everything. you can receive radio. It's such a convenient tool for the gospel because the end user, it's free and convenient, but we always like to remind people to keep the radio on the air is not free. There's a lot that goes on to the back end of the free service that you receive in order to keep it on the air. Whether it's human effort and a manager or an operations manager or an engineer or a, an internet person that keeps all the lines open and all the networks working, whether it's money, uh, we get bills. You know, the bill collectors are really, really, they love sending bills. They measure whatever it costs and say, you owe us this. 
And, you know, just in case, again, if you ever wonder, but if you, we have an 80,000 watt radio station. It doesn't broadcast at 80,000, but it does. They're able to do something where it broadcasts, I don't know, it takes 10,000 to make 80,000 or whatever. I don't understand it all. It doesn't matter to me because I just turn the radio on. That's all that matters to me. But whatever that is, you don't use 10,000 watts an hour, but the radio station does. And guess what? The electric company, they keep track of that stuff. <laughs> Did you know that? They keep track of all those numbers. They don't mess around. They go like dot, 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 and then they put a dollar amount to it and go, pay us. But on the other end, it's just free. And it it's, sounds like our lives. We enjoy the freedom of Christ. We enjoy all that God has for us. We enjoy love and grace and forgiveness. But it costs Jesus everything to fulfill the righteous requirement of God. And like Jesus, Joseph, he led his brothers to the truth carefully, painstakingly, uniquely to get them to the place where they would experience all the emotion that this text is filled with. And I believe Joseph also carefully led them to the place where they would appreciate this forgiveness. Knowing what they deserve, standing before Joseph and not receiving what they deserve. There are just things they had to feel, the weight of it. They had to feel the depth of conviction. They had to feel what they did was wrong, that they hurt God, that they hurt their dad, that they hurt their, each other, that they hurt Joseph. They had to feel it. And the Bible phrase for feeling the weight of sin is godly sorrow. There's just things you gotta feel. You gotta go through it. You gotta take the weight of it to bring you to a place of repentance so you don't go back to it and you forsake it. Temporary emotion's not gonna get you very far because it will wear off. You have an emotional time in the sanctuary and your tears and God just spoke to you and that's real, believe me, it's real. It's not fake. But if it's not godly, it's not gonna last. It's gonna wear off. And then the next time it'll be harder. And the next time it'll be harder. Before you know it, you don't even feel anymore. You don't even hear anymore. You're not even in fellowship anymore. You're not even reading the Bible anymore because what's the point? I don't feel anything anymore. You become insensate. Some people describe their life like, I don't feel anything. And if you're a believer and you're, I just don't feel anything anymore. I don't hear from God. I don't feel anything. The question is, is like, where is it in your life that you have veered off hardening your heart toward God. And it could be you know, sin, it could be a sinful reaction to real pain like grief and loss, but it's not God. It's like blaming Joseph. Joseph, I can't believe, well, I just, what's your problem? Like, what do you mean? And Joseph's standing there, what are you talking about? I've been very gracious with you. Been, I mean, the brothers could turn around and go, Joseph, you're, what's your problem? You lied to us. You didn't tell us who you were. I mean, you know, that, that's silly to think of, but it's true. People do that all the time. God, I can't believe you did that. Or pastor, why did you say that? It's like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? What, why, are you, why do you continue to fight the obvious work of God? You are not seeing 
clearly God's faithfulness in your life. You're not seeing because if you did, your only response would be to receive the grace of God and appreciate it and enjoy it. God sent me ahead. And Joseph understood the promises made to Abraham. And, it's, and he's care. He's like, you didn't send me here. You sold me. But God sent me. And you could say that about anybody that's sinned, in your life, sinned against you in your life. You sinned, but God did this. Your sin, and some of you need to say this out loud. You look at the situation. You got to say, your sin against me will not have the final word. Because I trust God all the way to the end. This will not, you will not, I will not even give you the privilege of getting the last word because Jesus Christ, he triumphed over sin and death. Even that sin. And Joseph, Joseph is not a superstar here. He's not a superhero. He's not somebody that is not like you and me. He was a kid with sibling rivalry that through the decisions of his family ended up living a really, really hard life. But when it comes down to it here, his faith got him through. His faith got him through. So he can look back and go, you know what? I know what you guys did. Let me tell you what God did. I know what you guys did. I just want to explain to you, there's a bigger thing going on. And perhaps even in Joseph's life, he can't fully explain it. But he's got enough faith to bring them to where they are right now. We need to be careful. Jot this down if you're taking notes. We need to be careful not to be upset with secondary causes in our lives. Now, some of that, that phrase might even be offensive to some because you're like, secondary cause, they ruined my life. No, because sin doesn't get the last word. You don't know what's going on in your life yet except that it's bad right now. But you don't know. We need to be careful not to be upset with secondary causes in our lives, even though there is real pain and there is real suffering and there is real loss. There are things that have been taken from us that we will never, ever get back. Relationships, time, never get back. But we must remember that God is using these things in his primary purposes for our life. In Ephesians chapter one and verse 11, it says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. I, I think of one that's real popular in our country is the American dream, the American dream. It's been shoved down our throats so much that we end up wanting it. The American dream, that's our goal. We want the American dream. A man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. We really don't want the American dream we desire it, but we really don't want it. As believers in Christ, we want the reality of God in our lives. We don't want to live a dream life. We want to live the life that God is destined for us or predestined for us. In him, to bring praise and glory to him. 
That's where our satisfaction comes. Turn over, uh, we haven't turned at all, so turn over to Psalm 105. Let me show you this in your Bible. Psalm 105, so good. When you get there, go to verse 16. This is the description, God's will be done. L- listen to the psalmist describing this whole scenario. It's so good. It's, it's so good that God was setting everything up. It says, moreover, verse 16, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them. What's his name? Joseph. How? Well, it says right here, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He, laid, he was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let them go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came out of Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. Verses 23, 4, and 5 are going to be our future studies in Genesis. That hasn't happened yet. But the previous ones have. And that's how the psalmist looks at it. Look, we know what happened to Joseph, but God was in it. God sent him ahead. God had a plan. And you know, here's something to consider. God had a plan, but he didn't need Joseph. He didn't need Joseph at all. God can accomplish his will any way he wants. He didn't need Joseph, but he used him. He didn't need Joseph, but he used his pain. He used his sorrow. He used his life. I mean, this is the benefit of hindsight, of course. That's why we can go to Psalm. Like, if there was a page we could turn, kind of get a peek of what God's doing in our life right now, we sure would like to see it, but we don't get that benefit. Only after the fact. The things that we can look back in hindsight. However, you can see hindsight's benefit, beneficial for where we are right now because you can look back and see the faithfulness of God. And if he was faithful then, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know he's gonna be faithful now. You got, it, you got through the last one. He's going to get you through this one as well. He's going to take me through. He gave some purpose to things I didn't think it would ever mean anything. And all my life and living for the world and all the life I threw away and then all the hard things and bad things. I, I, what, what, is, what, what can God possibly, well, I, I can see now. I can see now. A lot clearer than I did before. Looking back, we get to see. But even today, you can ask God for spiritual eyes. You can ask God to show you what he wants to show you. I remember Elisha's, he prayed for his servant, open his eyes. What he needs, he needs to see what's going on in the spiritual realm. That's what he needs. And God is working it. He didn't have to use Joseph. He doesn't have to use you. He doesn't have to use your pain. He doesn't have to bring purpose to it. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's sovereign, but he's chosen to use you and bring redemption to your pain and bring redemption to your problems. If you look to him today, trust him. Well, verse nine, speed up through the rest of the chapter. He says, hasten and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and don't tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and you and your children and your children's children your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I'll provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. 
There's still more five more years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you've seen. And you shall hasten and bring my father down here, verse 14. And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. What a reunion this must have been. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And moreover, verse 15, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I bet, what do you think they were saying there? <laughs> it's kind of that time where Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he opened up the scriptures and gave him that Bible study. Well, I mean, one, you like to hear that. Wouldn't you like to get a taste of what, what he was saying there or be just here? What is that even? What are they talking about? What could they possibly say? As Joseph's giving him a story, I mean, what could they possibly say except every single thing out of Joseph's mouth was a reminder of how gracious he was with them? I said, man, it would be great to hear that. Verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come and it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and depart, go to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your households and come to me. I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you'll eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. And also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. And it's such an emotional reunion. Amazing. Just, man, what an honorable man Joseph is. Another picture of Jesus. Over and over. This whole chapter is filled with them. You can study it. Just see these types of Christ. But another picture of Jesus bringing peace to those who are in his family. We have a principle that Pastor Chuck Smith handed down to us where God guides, he provides. Well, you see it right here. He's using Pharaoh. He's using a, a, a country that's anti-God. Who, Pharaoh has a heart for Joseph, so therefore Pharaoh has a heart for his family. And man, I'm going to give them more than they would ever expect. They're not just going to have food for the next five years. I'm going to give them everything they need. It's going to be glorious. I, I like at the end of verse 16 too, um, where he says, um, actually in verse 20, he says, don't be concerned about your goods. Don't be concerned about your goods. This could also be translated, uh, the old King James, I think, uses the word stuff. Don't be concerned about your stuff. It not that a word for the 21st century? Don't be concerned about all the stuff. Jesus said, you know, be careful laying up your treasures where? In heaven. Why? Because moth and rust, it won't destroy and decay and thieves can't break in and steal. Don't be worried about the stuff. Don't be concerned. The kingdom of God is already yours. Be concerned about the things of the kingdom. Because when you're concerned about the things of the kingdom, you're going to be concerned about the king. And I know he didn't mean it that way, but I thought, man, what a great application. Don't be concerned. Uh, everything's going to be taken care of. Verse 21. Then the sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey. Why? Where God guides, he provides. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things. 
10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, food for the father and the journey. He sent his brothers away. They departed. He said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. Now, verse 24 is very important because something miraculous and wonderful and glorious has happened. And when they head out back home, it would be very easy for them to be troubled by the whole situation and talk themselves out of what just happened. What we would refer to today where the enemy would just be messing with their minds, that's what they mean there. Don't be troubled. This is all happening. This is exactly, I know it's beyond what you can think or ask, but this is happening. So don't be troubled. Don't, don't, second, don't have a second thought about this. This is happening to you. You can trust me. Again, a, a type of Christ. Verse 25. Then he went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive. He's the governor. How do you think this went? How do you think this went? And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to him, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. And I'll go and see him before I die. (laughs) I mean, that's just, you got to let that sit. This is just too amazing. God has been so gracious to Jacob, even though he sees his life. I'm sure he didn't see it that way for a long time. It's been so good. And then on top of it, man, you will not believe Joseph's alive. You know, a few thoughts before we head out. First of all, I think even though Jacob's going to Israel, or excuse me, to Egypt, I really don't think he plans to stay. I bet he's just thinking about riding out the famine and wanted to return as soon as he could. But, you know, that's the hidden will of God, isn't it? He takes us, he tells us, take the first step, take the first step, and you'll find out more, but you gotta take the first step. God's not going to give you the whole picture. He's not going to give you everything that you want. You don't need to be mad at him about that. He's calling you to the first step, the step of faith. Take it. Go for it. And I was was so encouraged by this where the brothers came back with a message. It was a good message, but came back with the message And what they did to their dad right here, the end result was the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And it reminded me of what a privilege it is for you and I to be used in someone's life to revive their hearts with a message, with an encouragement, with a scripture, with friendship, with care and concern. I mean, think of it this way. Your life could be a life that revives someone who's depressed. And your life could be used to revive someone who's down. Your life can be used to revive someone that's discouraged. Yes, you. You can. You, You can through so many different ways. You can change a person's life with a note, with a phone call, with a text message, with with prayer. 
But really, this is more in the person. Like after you pray, then you go encourage someone. Literally, interfacing with another human being. It is not God's will for you to hide in a closet and to stay away from people and to live in a perpetual state of self-protection because somebody jacked you or stabbed you in the front or you know, slandering you, gossiping about you. Like The Lord's going to give you strength to get through it so you can continue to help other people. That's why you're on the planet. And it's going to hurt. You're going to get stabbed again. Amen? Nobody says amen to that. I mean, I made you say it, but you wouldn't want to say it. You're like, some of you are like, what is he saying up there? Yeah. That's kind of the, the hurt in the church is not so much stabbing in the back. It's people, they're hugging you with their hand in the back and they're stabbing you while you're hugging you and saying, God bless you, brother. You're the best. You're the best. And then they step back and go, here's your heart. Like, Where did that come from? Just carved it out, baby. Handed it to you on a potter. Like that's the hurt of the church. It's deep stuff, man. It hurts. But don't let that hold you back from being who you are in Christ. Don't let that hold that back like God wants to use you. He wants you in so like your personality, your perspective, your upbringing, your kindness, whatever you are, God wants to use you. Because <laughs> these guys, they come back with a great report. They didn't have to. Don't let anybody trouble you. Don't have second thoughts. I know when you go home, you might think about this too much and then not tell your dad the truth or whatever. Like, don't do that. Just go and do what I tell you to do. Doesn't that sound like the Lord? Hey, I'm sending you on your way. Don't you have second thoughts about it? Don't you just do what I've told you to do because you're that important. If you don't do what God's called you to do, he will accomplish it. He'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about that, but you just won't get to enjoy it which is kind of sad how many things we've lost because of our disobedience. We don't get to enjoy it. We get whatever the substitute is, which is always not at all what we end up wanting. In Job chapter six, verse 14, brother shared this at devotions last week. It's really good. It says, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Even if your friend is like angry at God right now, he doesn't need you to fix him or her. They need kindness. And isn't that the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. In the New Living, it says, same verse, Job 6, 14. One, and I love the way they put this, one should be kind to a fainting friend. I like that. One should be kind to a fainting friend. So I'm gonna pray for us today. I'm gonna pray for you in particular, that God would give you the gift of discernment, the manifestation of discernment, where you have the ability to tell what's going on in a person's life. That God will give you a supernatural unction of the spirit to know what's happening. Maybe a name pop into your mind tonight or a face, somebody you haven't seen in church in a while, somebody you used to go to high school with, someone in a previous church, so whatever. But that the Lord would just give you insight into someone's life so that every single one of us, to hearing my voice right now, can show kindness to a friend afflicted.
or to an fainting friend. And just be used to the Lord. Just do it. Just, man, it's like right now, Lord, I just pray in our church service right now and those connected to us that you would give us discernment in a person's life, in a family's life, in a situation. Lord, that we could bring revival to someone's heart, revival to someone's life, revive, like that our lives would be used to bring hope and encouragement to someone to many someones moving forward, believers and unbelievers alike, God. It's a hard chapter to accept, God, for those of us that have these heavy, insurmountable losses that will never come back. It's just hard. It sounds almost like too, I don't know, unbelievable. But it's not. It's your word. And by faith, we can have a life like Joseph's in the midst of hardship and difficulty. And until deliverance comes, God, we are living in your deliverance. Because we're not defined by what happens to us. But rather, we are defined by your eternal purposes your predestined will for our lives. Help us, God. Give us faith to believe, even the faith of a mustard seed. Give us appreciation, not for what we've lost, but for what we have. And I thank you for these little glimpses you've given me and just memories that are ingrained in my mind, Lord, that will never be stolen from me or taken from me because you gave them to me. And I pray that in our church, God, there's so much hurt and pain and fear and anxiety. There's people wrestling for control and they just, they just want this and if this. And we, we just want to acknowledge to you our humanity tonight. And we surrender fresh to you, Lord. We pray that you would get us out of ourselves and into the spirit, into the kingdom. We wouldn't be so... Forget about the stuff, man. And we begin to think about the kingdom. Pour blessings on your church universal tonight. Every believer, God, that we would rise up, be the men and women, the boys and girls that you want us to be, attentive to you, abiding in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week. 